0: This is Rock Isn't Dead, It's Just Sleeping, with your host,
1: William Whitebread and White audio-slave steward. Alright everybody, welcome back to another edition of Rock Isn't Dead, It's Just Sleeping. I'm Jimmy Page. And this week, we're here to talk about the differences and the uprising of a monumental business powerhouse, Gibson Guitars, and Fender's monumental entrepreneurship of Fender Music Instruments. And now to my friend David Gilmore. Hello, chaps. <laughs> here we are. Are we to do this? All right. So, yep, uh, I'm Willie Whitebread. I was Mark the Audio Slave, and we're here to talk about the differences. And the uprising and giant business entrepreneurial battle that is Gibson Guitars versus the Fender Electric Music Instrument Company. Great. All right. So Great. you have countless musicians throughout time that prefer Fenders. You have countless musicians throughout time that prefer Gibson. But where did they come from? How did they start? What's the difference in tone? Mm. Some people prefer the double humbucking crunchy tone of a Gibson. And some prefer the twangy perfection that is the Fender Stratocaster. Beautiful. Okay. Well done. Well done. Okay, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the oldest guitar-making company out there, Gibson. Let's start there. Let's do it. All right. So Gibson started in Kalamazoo, Michigan with a small man named Orville Gibson who started making mandolins in 1894. Uh, so he started perfecting these mandolins, and they, he made them in a way that the, uh, the instruments had the opportunity and the potential to be mass-produced. Which, you know, because a lot of times back then, it was like uh, like how, how people, like old school woodworking, how they would, uh, you know, they would make something, but it would take them six weeks to make a canoe or well, that, something, you but know. But
0: that's how the, the quality is going to be there, because they're going to take their right. time. You know, you think the Chinese guys are taking their time these days?
1: Right, right, right. Well, that's what I mean, is he perfected a, a way of making musical instruments that had, you know, people saw entrepreneurs back in that time. In the but 80s, I think 100s. everybody back in those days pretty much,
0: you know, had quality instruments. No matter what instrument was being made, it was being pretty much, it wasn't mass manufactured, you know. I mean, Eli Whitney was mass manufacturing right. parts for guns. Right. I don't think that they, they came to the same, you know, conclusion, you know, yet. Right. For instruments. Right.
1: And this was also, like I said, back in the, when the mandolin was big you know what i mean back when it was like mandolin orchestras this is before the the banjo orchestra and obviously before before jimmy page got involved yeah before jimmy (laughs) page got involved and fucked everything up for everybody exactly you know yeah (laughs) so anyway he uh he was granted his one and only patent in 1898 four years after he uh he started making the mandolins uh he was a small little restaurant clerk and so he made these things on the side and then in october 10th 1902 uh the Gibson Mandolin Guitar Manufacturing Company is formed when five businessmen buy the rights to his name and the patent for $2,500 and hire Orville Gibson so that's as a crazy! Consultant.
0: It's so crazy how the Gibson name has carried on for, for so many so many years. Yeah, you since know? the
1: 1890s and the absolute ups and downs. I mean, I would say probably Gibson went through more ups and downs than Fender. They're still going through them, but yeah, you're Right. Right. I mean, Gib- or Fender went through its fair share of them. Hello, who's watching? Oh, Michael Martinez, of course. Um, so so they both went through their, very, their fair share of ups and downs. But like you said, Gibson's been around for a long fucking time. Mm-hmm. A long time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they pay Orville Gibson $2,500 and they take over his company and his patent, hire him on as a consultant, which doesn't last long. Lasts about four years mm-hmm. until he said he's had enough, which... It's probably because, and it's probably foreboding of Gibson's future, mm-hmm. because he was probably sick of the, you know, the corporate entrepreneurial, like, I have to get as much money as I can, so we got to find a cheap way to produce these instruments. And he's like, well, no, yeah. you can't make these instruments cheap. My name's on them. Right. You know, quality my, over my quantity. My name's not Orville Redenbacher. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, so he quits, um, and eventually, well, he receives a royalty check. In uh, a pension for this until he dies in 1918. We're gonna give um, you
0: twenty-seven dollars a year right, for the right. rest of your life.
1: Right, right. So from 1903 into the uh, the World War One era, Gibson dominates the mandolin world. Mm. You know what I mean? They took Orville's designs, they took his ideas, and they are at this point dominating the mandolin world. When did they start making their acoustics? Uh, I think it wasn't the until guitar. like I think it wasn't until like 1934. Okay, 1934. I think is when they started when when jazz and oh yeah yeah Gibson was huge in the in the jazz world and uh and and that's indicative like I said 1921 uh Gibson employee Ted McHugh woodworker who uh, he actually sung in a mandolin orchestra with Orville Hmm. um he he's gonna go down in guitar history Mm because he's the one that brought us the adjustable truss rod so and that's still used today that's Uh, still used today and every yeah it's yeah yeah. Every, every Gibson guitar that has a truss rod, which is all of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so his designs. Well, um, not only that, but pretty much every guitar n- made <laughs> in the modern era <laughs> has oh, yeah. a truss rod. And well, and that's, that's some difficulty that Leo Fender ran into when he was originally, yeah. When he was making his instrument. Well, he wanted to cut corners. Right. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, and he thought that if he used a, uh, what was it, a, a high density pine neck, mm-hmm. he that he wouldn't need it. Yeah, he wouldn't need a truss rod. It was a
0: good thought, you know, but yeah. he should have had more of a trial before he mass-produced.
1: Right, yeah. and I also don't think that he uh, he took into account that the musicians, because he wasn't a musician. Yeah, you know what I mean. Leo Fender wasn't a musician. He was a, a you know a ra- He owned a radio yeah. repair shop and he built exactly. PAs and amps exactly. And he was a sound technician. Right, you know what I mean. He who was good was, at soldering and shit. Right, who yeah. had a fascination with guitars. Right. you know what I mean. So he didn't take into account that. You know, musicians, especially back in that time when there's no air conditioning mm. and everything's hot right. and does wood do in the heat, it right. warps. You know what I mean? So he didn't, he kind of didn't take that uh, into consideration. Um, so anyway, uh, 1922, actually, in answer to your question, 1922, Gibson introduces the Cadillac of mandolins, the F5. Mm-hmm. That's the one that we see in all the documentaries. That's the one that we see in all the old uh, Westerns from that time. And Right. Everything like that. That's where, or not Westerns rather, but all the old mandolin orchestra videos that you see. You know. All of those videos that I see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Every single one. <laughs> that you watch. So many of them yeah. to choose from. Like, <laughs> so many of them, in
1: fact. You're not gonna go home and watch mandolin orchestrated videos? <laughs> I don't think. I mean I might.
0: Okay, well. Wow. Yeah. All
1: right. Anyway, so uh yeah, they introduced the F five mandolin and the L five guitar. So like your question answered nineteen twenty two. Um and so we talked about how the mandolin orchestra at this time is still pretty big, but World War I kind of killed that off. And now we're playing with the tenor banjo. Right. Which is kind of interesting. That that's, that's how... I didn't know the banjo was that old. I didn't know I that really there didn't. was such a thing as a tenor banjo. I thought it was just a banjo. Yeah, I
0: don't know. You is know? there different kinds of banjos? Well, basically a ba- all a banjo is is a snare drum attached to strings
1: and a, and yeah. a piece of wood. Yeah. yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. So... uh Throughout the 30s, they're perfecting on the mandolin. They're perfecting their giant fucking acoustics. Have you ever seen an acoustic guitar from the 30s? Yeah, they're huge. It's like a like a cello. It looks like a fucking cello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just fucking... Like, you see these cowboys just picking around, leaning up against the fence, and the fucking guitar is, like, this big. Yeah, a buddy of mine had one in his house,
0: actually. Really? Yeah, it was, it was beautiful, but... I picked it up and I swear to God, the strings almost like just snapped just by touching them. (laughs) Really? Because they were, yeah, they were like original strings. He didn't play guitar. He inherited it from oh. his grandfather or something, and yeah I was like, that's pretty cool. the
1: old picking around on the farm instrument, yeah is what that was yeah um, so yeah they uh, Gibson went through a little bit of ups and downs with this uh, they almost went bankrupt um, with the mandolins with the f5s because they were kind of expensive to produce yeah at the time, and with that, with the war just ending, there wasn't a whole lot of money to mm-hmm. be had so anyway uh, in 1935 Gibson introduces its first electric guitar, which all, all electric guitars stemmed from the Hawaiian style steel guitars and, you know, like the flat top, the flat top steel guitars and Spanish guitars, Spanish steel guitars, right? Right. That's where they all stemmed from. And so they started making, uh, making different sizes of those, the super jumbo being one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's when they started touching on their arch tops, which was their, their electric guitar line, right? Right. Mid thirties. Uh, moving forward a little bit, the uh, the King of Flat Tops, Cowboy Rye Whitley, orders the super large guitar. That's the one that we see, the Super Jumbo. Right. Which came into regular production in the late 1930s and 1938. So that's, uh, that's kind of a little bit of the very beginning history. Love you too, Mike. He's probably drunk. Sorry, guys. Anyway, so... Uh, Anyway, anyway, 1938, Leo Fender, he comes on the scene and he opens up his first shop, the Fender's Repair Service, offering homemade PA systems. Hmm. And that's kind of how he got his name out there. Yeah. Making those PA systems. Not a lot of those in,
0: around and all those guys are making them at that time.
1: Oh, no. And he was a genius. Yeah. He, he was absolutely, like we said, he's a, he was a sound engineer.
0: He was an idiot savant. Oh, <laughs>
1: I don't know how much of an idiot he was, but <laughs> I never met him. Never met the guy. <laughs> I don't really know. But uh, so yeah, he made I think in uh I think he started out in Southern California, is where he kind of started pushing his shit, and he started creating these PA systems. I think he had like five or six of them at the time, and he started becoming very well known for his PA systems. Yeah, you know what I mean, because they were a, a way advanced quality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. way advanced quality. Um, and so what happened? What happened during World War II? We're moving into World War II territory, so I know there were some stop ups there. Well. What what does it say in the paper? I can't read. I need my glasses. Oh, put your glasses on, Mark.
0: It says that, uh, oh, Gibson closed their doors forever. The end. Fender wins. Great. Here we go.
1: (laughs) Yes. Take your fucking Honda Civic 6 string out of here. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, during the time of World War II, they decided to stop manufacturing their guitars because they needed the uh, wood and the metal for uh war purposes. So yeah. they, they actually used their factory to make
1: those items for mm-hmm. the war efforts during yep. during those times. Yep. And funny enough too, I heard a uh or I read a I don't know if it's there's any truth to this, it may be a rumor, but I heard that Gibson covered up the fact that uh they during the World War Two effort, when all of their supplies and their woodworking and metals were used for, you know, to build war equipment and things of that nature, yeah. <clears throat> all of the uh, like the guitar makers and the you know the what you call them the crafters and the designers and all that kind of shit, they kind of booked off. A lot of them got got corralled into war. Obviously, a lot of them got drafted, um, and it was all women. Mm. That were running Gibson at the time. Yeah, because all yeah, exactly. I mean, you watch movies from mm-hmm. you know about that
0: time, and you'll see the factories are filled with women. Yeah, Swing Shift was was one of them. back, yeah. back
1: in the uh, in the eighties. Yeah, it was focused all about that. Right. And then, so in 1944, uh, Gibson was sold to the Chicago Musical Instruments Company, uh, one of the largest wholesale and distribution companies in the U.S. You know, which yeah. is good. Yeah. That, that started really kicking him off. Um, and, and during this time, I want to back up two years to 1942. Because we haven't mentioned Mr. Les Paul yet. Mr. Les Paul, he, we'll get into a little bit of his history. Well,
0: he, he produced a guitar, and, and didn't he like present it to Gibson?
1: Yeah, he, yeah. It was called The Log. The Log, yeah. And if you guys uh, ever get curious about The Log or the first solid body electric guitar design... Oh, the most famous one. I'm sure somebody over there, maybe in Bumfuck, Wisconsin, maybe made one up. But uh, the first recorded, you know, cultivation of a solid body electric guitar was from Les Paul. He had shown up uh, to the Kalamazoo factory in 1942. And what it was is it was a four by four post Mm -hmm. with a single pickup, a bridge, Strings obviously and a headstock that was bolted on, and he sawed an old acoustic guitar he had in half mm-hmm. and attached the wings to the side of with with latches with latches with latches yeah right and he uh, you know basically the Gibson guys got around and it sounded good. But see, at the time, these big man—well, Gibson—they the, la- they laughed him out. Yeah, the big guitar make—I say these big guitar making companies—the big guitar making company—they laughed him out of there because they didn't realize the uh, you know the importance or the need for a solid body electric guitar. Right. Because back then, uh, a lot of these guitars—they're having like the arch tops, the the hollow bodies, the. Uh, the single hollow bodies—they were—they were creating a lot of feedback from the amps because right. of the hollow body and the resonation of the sound.
0: Right. So, feeding back.
1: So the composers and the, and the
0: orchestras and stuff like that, and the, and, and, and the jazz era, they were like, "Please get turn that thing off, because right? Because it's it's making noises that I don't want
1: present. In, yeah. In, in, in my rec- recordings or or live performances, you know. Right. So the log sounded good, but. Gibson didn't bite off on it because they didn't realize the need for it. Mm-hmm. Most of them probably weren't musicians. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. So and, they didn't care.
0: And yeah, I mean, there was a certain couple genres of music, and it wasn't needed at all for, for, for those to, to function properly.
1: Right, 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 right. Um, so moving a little bit forward, we're going to go to 1946. Uh, this is And this is also around the same time that Leo started being interested in the guitar you know, he started being really interested in guitars. Well, wasn't that when Leo visited Les Paul's yeah. garage? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, because Le- uh, Les Paul was very famous for his, uh, his at-home studio that he had. You know what I mean? Les, Les lived in, in uh, L.A. He lived in a small house, and he mm. had sealed his garage off. He did. yeah. Uh, and so much so that you couldn't even open the garage door. It was completely sealed off. You had to crawl through the window. Right. You had to crawl through the window, and one night... Um, Leo Fender, you know, Les and his buddies are sitting there jamming and picking around and drinking beer, and Leo Fender showed up. And they were like, oh, hey, man, this is my buddy Leo Fender. And, you know, uh, Les, being the boisterous man that he is, was wanting to show off his design and showed Leo Fender the log. Mm -hmm. And it asked if he wanted to play it. And Leo was like, you know, I'm not a musician, but I'd like to hear you play it. And that's kind of where the inspiration. And didn't uh, Leo ask Les to, to borrow it, too? Was that that? He did, uh, but it didn't... I don't think he let him. Yeah. I don't think he let him at the time. I think... Uh, well, Bigsby let him. That's what... Yeah, Bigsby. Paul Bigsby lent... Uh, well, no, it wasn't Paul. It was uh, Merle Travis, who Paul Bigsby made the original solid body electric guitar. Okay. And then let... You know, uh, Leo Fender went to see Merle Travis perform at a little honky-tonk. Right. And, you know, Merle Travis let Leo borrow the guitar. And one thing I
0: did, I don't know... Did the... Did the did he start making the amplifiers or the guitar first? Amps. Leo.
1: Amps. Leo started making amps th- first. I, okay, I thought
0: so. That makes more sense. Cause yeah. He's, he was already into the PA game. Yeah. So that, and so he was making the amps, and that's probably why he went to less to begin with. Yeah. Because he was, he was like, I got you know amps I'm making, I want yeah. you to check them out type thing, and and that's how their you know relationships started, right?
1: And Leo had it figured out, man. Leo, Leo Fender, and this is, and I talk shit about Fender. I uh, I love Fenders. I think I love the sound of Fenders. In fact, I bought my first Fender two days ago. I bought my first Fender Stratocaster, and I've been enjoying playing it. It's a different sound, but then again, musics come in different sounds, don't they, Mark? All <laughs>
0: different sounds,
1: right? And so, anyway, the the thing that I love about Leo Fender is Leo Fender was making. Instruments and gear for the musician that was his goal. Gibson's goal was to make money, yeah. make flashy instruments. Because we spoke a little bit offline about this. The one thing that you can say about a Gibson is they're beautiful, they sound great, yeah, but they're beautiful, yeah, you know what I mean. And that's aesthetically, why aesthetically,
0: they're pleasing to the eye, exactly. You know, when you look at a fender, you're kind of like, Yeah, it's kind of plain, it's kind of generic. Yeah. Then right. you, look, you look at a Les Paul, you're like, wow, that thing, right. that thing looks like it's supposed to be strapped onto a rock and roller performing in front of thousands of
1: people. Right, exactly. Big flash, a lot of sparkles. You know what I mean? Those sunburst yeah. finishes that, that the Les Pauls had were second to none. I always use the, uh, the adage, you know, the Fender is, you know, the Honda Accord of the music instruments. It's great. It runs great. It's reliable. It's super customizable. And it's going to get you there for the long haul. Easy to drive, the Gibson, that's the Jaguar. You know what I mean? Super expensive up up front, runs great, sounds great. It's gonna cost you a lot to maintain if something breaks. Not very customizable, right? So that's the direction that Gibson went. Gibson went to make flashy, and they were they were more leading towards a Gibson's a lifestyle, where Fender was more, hey, I'm gonna make instruments that motherfuckers can play. Right, you know what I mean, and thrash around on, and meet, you know, gonna sound passed. So versatile compared to the Gibsons,
0: which are so twangy and trebly. Twangy and trebly. Ugh, sometimes it's 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 a little too much for
1: my ears on, on a Gibson. I've never heard a Gibson called twangy. I've heard them called crunchy and guttural. Never mm, twangy. I'm, I'm talking about the, when you play Gibson clean. I'm not talking
0: ah. I'm not talking about when you're ah. distorting it. Ah. When you distort a Gibson, that's how you're supposed to play a Gibson. Right. But right. It, so, cuz it's a, the sustain on uh, a Gibson
1: is, right. is a lot meatier right. than right. Fender. And they also we, we were talking about the different sounds a little bit offline. Uh, we were ta- let's talk about the dual humbucker versus cuz we're moving forward a little bit, we're still staying with the timeline. Yeah. Uh, because it, between 1946 and 1951, Gibson perfects the P90 single coil pickup. Yeah. Which is still used. Yeah. People are still putting P90s into into guitars. Right. Because they're great pickups. And, and that was a single coil. And that was amazing. Uh, and that was... You could first see them on, like, their ES5 model, which was the first triple pickup guitar ever. Yep. And then the ES-175, which came out in 1949, mm-hmm. you know, so they, they perfected these pickups, these single coil pickups, and they're fantastic. Yeah. But let's talk about the difference in sound, because we talked about them a little bit earlier, because the Fender that I just picked up, the Strat that I just picked up, had the Lace Sensor pickups, and those, aren't, those don't kind of follow in line with the typical Fender sound, which is what? The th- slight
0: feedback yeah. with the blues right. sound. Because you don't you know, with a noiseless pickup, you're gonna have no noise, pretty much. You put a noiseless pickup on with a noise gate, it's like you don't you you have like nothing to play off of. You know, that's 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 the issue with the noiseless pickups. But, however, they sound great on studio recordings, and they do sound really good on like you know rock and roll type type situations. Yeah. You know,
1: not yeah. so much traditional blues.
0: Right. Right, right, right,
1: right. So that was kind of the differences at the time. Right. Right? So there was a one goal in mind between the big guitar players that time. Because Les, Les was huge. He was one of the biggest guitar players in the world at that time. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Early yeah, 40s. I, I think he had a number one hit for, like, what, three months in a row? Yeah, it was like 100. Um, Honey over the moon with his wife Mary Ford or something. How, yeah. high, the how, how high, high the moon? How high the how moon? How high the yeah. moon? It was one of those really like kind of creepy. If you play the song like in the middle of the night nowadays, you're ready <laughs> to fucking <laughs> it get should,
0: killed. It should be on the Insidious Four soundtrack,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? So let's talk about um, let's talk about Fender's little his uh, his his dabbles into the you know the uh, solid body electric guitar. Yeah, we talked about how he got the idea. Mm-hmm. He kind of got the gears turning with uh, Les Paul's log. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's got the, that got the gears turning. And when he went to go uh, Paul Bigsby, tall, gray haired man, uh, you guys, I guarantee you have heard of Bigsby guitars. He's famous now for his tail pieces and yeah. his, uh, his tremolo. Right. Bar, you know. Right. And so he made the first solid body electric guitar. And he gave it to a famous country musician in that era called Merle Travis. That was his name. That's what I was thinking about earlier. Yeah. Merle Travis. And Merle Travis was playing a little honky tonk and Leo Fender heard about it and he heard about Bigsby's guitar that he produced. Mm -hmm. And so Leo decided to go pay a Fender or pay a Fender, pay a visit to the honky tonk where he was playing. And he was like, wow, this fucking guitar sounds great. Yeah. Minimal feedback, clear sound, you know, not a lot of scratch. Sounds good. Yeah. And so we talked to Merle about it after the show, and he's like, you know, he was like running all these specs by him. So who, I mean, are there's a, how are the pickups wired? How was it made? What kind of wood is it made out of? Is there a truss rod? And Merle's like, I don't fucking know what you're talking about, just, dude. Just, just borrow it. You, yeah. You let me borrow your PA so many times. <laughs> yeah. You just take to some bitch, man. I just play it. I don't know what, what anything about it, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> and so he gave, uh, he gave. Oh, really? Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man. I always feel I feel like Leo Fender sounds like Macho Man. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take the single coil pickup, and I'm going uh, to. That's, that's not what I was thinking. Okay, That's okay. what Leo Fender sounded like.
0: Yeah. You're doing a good impression the first time. But yeah. I don't know about the second time.
1: <laughs> Walked into the room with Les Paul. No, I'm going to break your Les Paul. No, anyway, so uh, so in 1950, Leo and the uh, Fender Electric Instruments Company introduced the single and dual pickup solid-body electric guitar. It was called the Esquire, and herein lies the problem with the truss rod snafu, mm. right? He made about 50 of them, right? Right. No truss rod. Right. And for all of you that don't know what a truss rod is, in a guitar's neck, right, the guitar is made of wood, as you can probably tell, made solely of wood, you know, metal and lacquer and whatever else, strings. But so what keeps the neck straight, because you got to have the neck straight, you, if the neck bows, it's going to sound like shit. It's not going to stay in tune. It, you know, the whole it, you might as well just buy a new neck yeah. or a new guitar. For sure. You know what I'm saying? So what the truss rod is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, because Mark is a much better musician than I. I, um, I, I, I I'm a player, not a tech. Ah, ah, So you're 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 the you're the Gibson. Yeah, right. You're the Les Paul. Yeah, I'm the Les Paul. Right, okay. Just do this and do that, and then uh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. That's good. Paint it Gold. Uh, Anyway, so they took the... A truss rod is a metal rod that runs along the back of a guitar's neck, and it keeps it straight. Yeah. Because, as you can see, if you ever watched any of the the classic rock guys like Pete Townsend from The Who or... uh, Kurt Cobain or any of them, they used to smash their guitars around. They're hard on them. They would drop them. They would drop their cases. Humidity gets to them. They're sitting in tour bus for weeks at a time. Yeah. They get hot. And what does wood do in the heat, like we said before, it bows. Yeah. It expands. It contracts during the di- fluctuation of temperature right. and humidity and the barometric pressure. So without the solid steel rod holding the neck straight, it's going to bend. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to Fender's first line of guitars. They were called the Esquire. Right. Well,
0: I, and, and he didn't want to put that truss rod in there because he didn't think, he, he didn't, he thought it was, it wasn't necessary, but it, you know, it turned out it was necessary, yeah. but he was trying to cut corners when it came to the cost of production.
1: Well, he wasn't a big company. Well, yeah. He I mean, wasn't you can't blame.
0: You can't blame the guy. No. I mean, he had to have, he had to have gotten that notion from somebody saying
1: like, I oh, don't need a truss rod. Just
0: go ahead and put, make it, make it out of the pine wood, you know? Yeah.
1: Probably, I don't know. At this time, he was pretty. Uh, he was pretty on his own though. It was him and I think one other guy. He had Don Don Randall. Maybe might have been with him at this time. Yeah, which was the uh, the production manager and all this. So anyway, they make about fifty of these esquires uh, without a trust rod, and they're bringing it to the Nam trade show, which happens every year, which is essentially a uh, battle of the minds. It's a gathering of the minds. I had of music. no
0: idea that the Na- the Nam trade show was was
1: uh, such a tra- old tradition. Tradi- old tradition, correct? Yeah.
0: yeah. For God's sakes, so I thought that was like you know, something they started like in the nineties or what something. is that like uh, the National 80s.
1: Association of Music or something like that? Yeah, I don't is
0: that know. what it is? Uh, something
1: about yeah, something like that. Something like that. I don't that. know. Yeah. Anyway, so he brings this. All I know SR. is that
0: every year at Nam is where the new shit comes out. They right. Have, they have it twice a year. They have
1: a winter. Oh, one. it's twice a year now. They have a winter
0: one and and I think a spring one. Oh, yeah. cool.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, well, no so winter one in the summer. That's yeah. So. Okay. So, so Leo shows up to the the Nam you know, the trade show, and he's got his Esquires, you know, and while people, and this is the, like like I said, Paul Bigsby made these guitars, he, he didn't make these solid body guitars commercially, he made them case by case basses for musicians, yeah, right, so he wasn't, there wasn't a high demand back then, right, he wasn't, he was making them essentially on order, and this is before,
0: um, what's his face, Les Paul came, yes,
1: came in, yeah, okay, before Les Paul got, had his Le, had his Gibson his, Les Paul made, yeah, his, uh, his, his model, yeah, because well, Fender it was Bigsby and Fender did it next because he borrowed the design. Anyway, yeah, so he brings these uh, the prototype of the Esquire to the NAMM trade show, and people they love it, but it's a very plain thing. And if you guys want to know what the Esquire looks like, the Esquire looks almost identical to the Telecaster, same body shape, same body type. Yeah, and at the time, you got to think. Uh, other guitar manufacturing companies, such as Gibson, Gibson and Bigsby and all these, they're making very flashy guitars, very right. aesthetically pleasing guitars. Big guitars. Big guitars. You yeah. know what I mean? So a Telecaster, to them, looked like a, just a piece of wood on, yeah. you know. A canoe paddle with strings. That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So I... it, it wasn't anything special, but it sounded great. It sounded awesome. And so it got people intrigued. Mm-hmm. However, who do you think stole the show? Gibson. Of course. Gibson was over there doing their flashy thing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, Fender sells the majority of these Esquire. He's pumping them out. The original price was $189 at the time with a hard case. Badass. Can't beat it. And they were coming back. Musicians were sending these guitars back. Yeah. For bent necks. And so Leo went back to the drawing board, brought them all back, put a truss rod in them, relabeled them, the broadcaster, mm-hmm. the Fender broadcaster, and there was
0: a company. Uh, was it Yamaha? At the Gretch, Gretch, had a drum kit mm-hmm. called the broadcaster. So they said, "Oh shit, we got to right. change this name." So uh, they said, "Let's think of something uh, futuristic. What can we think of? People, uh, you know, everybody wants to be the utopian society. So yeah, astrophysicists. Know, what's what's big right now? Oh, the television. The okay, television. So tele. Hey, we'll just keep the last part, Caster. Telecaster.
1: That's that's pretty cool how they came up with that. Pretty fucking badass. Yeah. So, the second, well, I would say the first commercialized solid body electric, electrical guitar, commercialized, not special order, goes to Leo Fender. Yeah. With the Telecaster. Mm-hmm. He perfected it. Wasn't anything special. But then again, either is the Honda Civic. But yeah. I ain't worried about driving it from here to Costa Rica if I could. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's going to run. It's going to play. And it sounded great. Yeah. And also at this time, like you had mentioned before, uh, Leo Fender, he specialized in making extremely durable amplifiers. Right. Great amplifiers and PA systems. The greatest amplifiers anybody's ever seen. And they were a lot quieter. Yeah.
0: During this period. So people were more right. acceptable of saying, okay, you know, well, well, we can, we can use this.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. And interesting enough about the Esquire too. Mm. Is before the Nam trade show. Uh, so Les Paul is is friends with Leo Fender. Mm-hmm. And he's in, you know, he plays with his wife, Mary Ford. They're recording. They're, you know, they're cruising around, touring and things like that. Leo actually brought Les one of these Telecasters or the Esquires. And he said, hey, would you endorse this for me? Because he wasn't selling as many as he needed to to survive. Yeah. You know what he I mean? He needed
0: somebody's name behind it. Right. And with Besides the trust his. rods.
1: Right. And with the truss rods. Uh, You know, he was in it a lot of money A lot of startup cost Mm -hmm. To make these guitars He said, I went over to that guy's uh, garage once before Why don't I go over there again And see if he'll give me another shot Right, but So Les played it He was impressed But it didn't have the flash that he wanted Yeah You know what I mean? Didn't have the flash So He didn't end up endorsing Leo's model
0: Which kind of sucks And plus it
1: just didn't sound right
0: yeah, the Fender Les Paul. It doesn't. Well, now that you know uh,
1: how it's been for so it's many years, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It right? doesn't. Yeah, mm. it really doesn't. Oh mm. <laughs> yeah, well. Nah. Oh well. So another thing that uh, Leo did very shortly after the Telecaster is he introduced the uh, first electric bass. Very the Fender cool.
0: Precision Bass. Yep. I bet you those sold so, so many. Yeah, and they still sell today.
1: Uh, yeah, it's amazing how, how many bases that they produced <laughs> right. through years. And he made a bassman, the Bassman amp with it. Yeah, the Fender Bassman amp to go with the Fender Precision bass, and that was the first electric bass. So, because back in these times, people were. The stand, the the upright bass? Yeah, they were playing the upright bass. Which is making a comeback these days, but not, you know... Well, everything vintage is making a comeback. Albums are making a comeback. You see fucking 16-year-olds with Led Zeppelin shirts running the fuck around that don't don't know how to spell a whole lot of love, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So everything, uh, everything think uh, that Post Malone made Ozzy Osbourne's career. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, Kurt Cobain was in the fucking Yardbirds. But uh, anyway, so in 1952... Uh, Gibson approaches Les with the same uh, offering, right? In the past year, after seeing uh, Leo coming out with his Telecasters and seeing them gain popularity amongst the tour- not only studio musicians but touring musicians, Gibson's like, "All right, well, we got to figure this shit the fuck out." So they make one, mm-hmm. and you guys know this as the Les Paul model. But it wasn't the Les Paul model yet. Wasn't yet. So they cruise up. Ted McCarty and Gibson cruise up to Les Paul's little hunting lodge, and they present him this guitar. They say, "Here you go, Les. We want to get your uh, we want to get your endorsement. You're one of the biggest musicians in the entire country right now. We want to get you the endorsement." Yeah, the dude drove up in the pouring, like a like mm-hmm. a superstorm or whatever, to this cabin, and
0: he's like, "Man, you you come up here, uh, you know, in this kind of weather, it must be something super important you want to talk to
1: me about." Yeah. And Sure enough. Uh Uh-huh. It was. That's right. And so they present this model to Les Paul. Les plays it, calls in his wife, Mary, who's also a big musician. She comes in. She likes it.
0: It's better than Leo's.
1: Yeah, I'm sure she said that, too. (laughs) It's better than Leo's, that fucker. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so but he's like, okay, if I'm going to endorse it, I want it called the Les Paul. Because I forget what they were going to call it. I don't know if they even had had a name for it yet. Yeah. And it was, uh, I think it was in like Sunburst Red or something like that. And yeah, he wanted gold. He wanted gold. Les wanted gold. And he made a few modifications. He made like the floating pick guard look. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made a couple of neck modifications. And he said, so I want you to say that I designed the guitar, which in reality, I mean, it's not an outright lie. But it is a little bend of the truth. It's a it's a total lie. All he no. did was modify it.
0: He just said, "I want this this done." Tell your guys to do that, and then I'll put my name behind it. Eh. Yeah, they also had gold hardware on that one too, and and uh, a lot of those old Les Pauls, the, the hard the finish the varnish wore off very quickly. Right. Yeah. Which is cool now. The yeah. relic model guitars that
1: they sell. Oh uh, yeah, they're probably all silver though. Yeah, probably from, from wear and yeah. age. So from this day forward, from 1952, from that year on. Uh, Gibson comes out with their first solid body electric guitar, the Les Paul model. They say that Les Paul engineered it and they start selling the shit out of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. They love it. People love it. Uh, and so great marketing. That's great. what it was. That's exactly what it was. Well, that was Gibson. They wanted, they wanted flashy cause go ahead and stand a 1959 Les Paul up against a 54 Strat. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Fuck. It's- no, 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 brainer. No brainer. Uh, so in the answer to this, because the Telecaster, it was, um, and I and correct me if I'm wrong, but the first Les Paul, Gibson Les Paul, it was double humbuckers, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty positive it was double humbuckers. And at this time, Leo was still rocking the single coil pickup with the Tele, with yeah. the Telecaster. Mm-hmm. Right. So Leo Fender had to do something to basically amp up the stakes. So, so look, I'm still here, guys. I'm still here. I'm relevant. That's right. I'm, re- I'm relevant, and I'm still better than you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> and so in 1954, Leo designs and introduces the Stratocaster. Yeah. The Stratocaster. And he made... and The Stratocaster is probably the most commercially copied guitar on the planet. Oh, yeah. I mean, shit, I have one right here behind me from Dean.
0: Yeah. A Dean Strat. I mean, Les Paul is, is not far behind, though. Mm-mm. You know, but there's more companies that copy the, the Strat, right? It's it's probably just easier to manufacture. That's yeah. You know, it's just the Alder body, right? Maple neck, mm-hmm. rosewood fingerboard. That's it. And, uh, you know, from it's there, easiest pie. Exactly. Shape yeah. it.
1: Shape it. Sh- paint it. Ship it. Paint it. Shape it. Ship it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> flip it. purp it. Flip it. purp it. So anyway, uh, 1954, the Stratocaster is introduced and Buddy Holly endorses it. Big that's a big thing for Leo. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> big he, move. He
0: needed somebody to put their name behind it.
1: Big move. Yep. Goes on with Ed Sullivan endorses the Stratocaster and the Stratocaster and was like What's this? Yeah. What is this? What is this? What is this? And back in in that in that time too, everybody still said the same thing. Well, it's a very basic looking guitar. But well, gosh dang it, it sounds great.
0: <laughs> well I think no a lot of people probably thought it was very futuristic at the time too yeah you know maybe yeah I would I would say because mm. you're going from that traditional Les Paul you know big bodied you know intricate looking carving on the, on the on the top of it to just just you know this 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 curved colored I don't know how you want to say it but it's this very jet George Jetsony looking guitar you yeah.
1: know it's it's very futuristic and so was that precision bass because you know obviously the the electric bases are much longer and bigger than so i would think guitars. that he probably got the
0: the body style from the the p bass when he started doing the Strat the p bass oh yeah for first. sure 100 and then he just kind of like molded it and said okay we're gonna put a curve here to contour the person's body there yeah. and, and then that's where the the contoured uh shape came on the top of the you know of, of the body, 100%. because before that, you know, the 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 bodies would kind of just dig into the side of guitar players, and then you know, people are just getting sick and tired of that. So he's like, I'll oh, just shave that part out, and yeah. then it's just it fits right on on the ribcage. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that was a big selling point of the Stratocaster versus the Telecaster, because a lot of people had complaints about the Telecaster that was very rigid, yeah. and didn't fit across their body well, and it kind of felt a little awkward to play, yeah, you know, unless you were sitting down, right? You know what I'm saying? So the Stratocaster, like you said, when he made those Contours. That was a big move. Everything was on purpose. Yeah, Yeah. playability. Yeah, it wasn't about looks. It was about functionality, playability, and a little bit of looks. But that's crazy how the Fender, you know, the P bass came out before the Strat. Well, and another big thing about the Stratocaster has the uh, the five way switch Mm -hmm.
0: built into it, which gives a lot more different tone function functionability to the Mm -hmm. guitar itself. You know and it had the floating you know the bridge with the springs which nobody had those yeah you know and before that it was like you you know you had to fix fix bridges and then you had the bigsby you know yeah and that was it yeah so i mean there was just so many different you know things that he brought to the table with the strap
1: yeah and that's funny that you should say that because in the same year gibson president ted mccarty uh Worked with his engineers, and he was an engineer himself, to invent the tunematic bridge. That's with that. individually adjusted saddles, string saddles. Right, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it was if you can see a trend here between the, Fender and Gibson, they were both neck and neck with each other. More so, Gibson following Fender. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, yeah, because they were the hot new company. Yeah, and, and he also um, like, like we said in the beginning, he took the money out of it. Yeah, and focused on playability and product quality. Yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was huge, a lot bigger in in times to come. Yeah. You know, and then moving a little bit forward with Gibson, uh, Gibson had a lot more going on during this time because Leo had his uh, Leo had his hands full with the Stratocaster. He was pumping out strats left and right, you know, sometimes 300 a day. He was pumping these things out.
0: Now, this is still in the 50s. We're talking, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, this is still in the mid 50s. We're talking about. So he's buying up different factories. He's pumping out these Stratocasters. And so Gibson, they come out with the Tunematic Bridge, and, and that was on their top-of-the-line models. That was on their higher-end uh, solid yeah. bodies. Yeah. And so they're starting to play a little bit of catch-up to Fender. Because mm. Fender's good. At this point, he's like, I got a hit. Yeah. I'm good. Oh, we're less, less, less pulse started to drop yeah. sales. Mm-hmm.
0: Big time. Especially when when you hit the late fifties, early sixties, into the seven, early, early, I guess, into the oh late, the fifties into the, like the mid
1: sixties. Yeah. That's when Les Pauls kind of like dropped off the face of the earth. Fenders too, though, in the mid sixties and uh, early seventies. That was a that was a pretty dark period for guitars for Fender. Oh yeah, Are that's you? when CBS bought them. Well, that even, was shit.
0: So that's that's when a lot of players were playing them. Yeah, a lot of players were playing them, but the quality was. Oh yeah, d- diving. Yeah, the uh, all the guitar players were probably you know they were saying, let's get you know if you want to get offend your Stratocaster, you better get a
1: pre-CBS. Exactly. Yeah. pre CBS exactly. and it's the same thing with Gibson, because you want to get a pre Norlin, yeah, or a post Norlin Gibson, right? Because they were shit. Nobody wanted the newer ones, right? Because it was a rat race. This was the product of an of an over advanced entrepreneurship, yeah. that was putting quantity over quality right and it was fucking awful right you know what i mean it was detrimental to these guys um so before this before like the the kind of downfall and the rat race of who's going to be more poor uh 1957 gibson acquires epiphone which was a huge rival of gibson gibson in the 30s and they start dropping different well, they were
0: their predecessor to gibson
1: yeah yeah Yeah. And they started, uh, you know, dropping Epiphone guitar lines in the 1950s, late 1950s, which is good because even in this time, Gibson followed the same trend as they do now. Yeah. Right. Like, for instance, a little homework for you guys at home. Go look at go look at a made in Mexico Fender Stratocaster, Mm -hmm. right. Brand new versus a standard Gibson SG, not even a Les Paul. Yeah. A standard, a standard Gibson SG. You're gonna pay nine hundred dollars for the SG, and you're gonna pay six hundred and fifty dollars for the Fender. Right, right. And so they needed to. They need. And, and so they were targeting one particular group of people, the upper echelons and touring musicians that needed flash on stage. Right. Fender was targeting targeting players. Right, because by now the electric guitar has boomed. Everybody's playing electric guitar. Rock and roll is moving through. Elvis is moving through. You know the 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 sixties is about to come, and rock and roll is about to explode. Right, the Beatles, all this shit. Yeah, is starting to come around. You got Keith Richards playing around in London a little bit. Clapton, Clapton, right? Dylan, right? And so Gibson needed a moderately priced. Instrument to play. Yeah. And I think they did a pretty smart thing with Epiphone, with buying up Epiphone and using their... their Because there is no low-end Gibson. Right. They don't exist. Right. Even today. But see, before they
0: bought Epiphone, wasn't like, weren't the quality of both companies probably neck and neck? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then they were like, they intentionally bought Epiphone and said, well, we're going to
1: buy our competitor out
0: and then we're going to make them our shit line. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because,
1: because Fender still had the Esquire. Right. Which is the now Squire. Squire. You know what I mean? Fender still had the Esquire you could purchase, and the Telecaster was a little bit cheaper than the Stratocaster. Yeah. Right? And so the, the Gibsons, nobody could touch them. Yeah. Nobody could afford that shit Yeah, back then. Coming out of a war, like, I mean, it's a decade after, but still, like, people, yeah. you know, you're not going to be able to afford it, because even back then, the Gibson Les Pauls were $650. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's so much compared to the $190 Telecaster that sounded just as good. Yeah. Or the stra- or the two hundred and sixty dollar Stratocaster that sounded just as good. Not the Telecaster, but yeah. the Stratocaster sounded just as good. Yeah, you know, what I mean, the triple coil mixed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a different sound, but it was still just as good. So anyway, uh, nineteen fifty eight, Gibson buys Epiphone. Uh, they move the production overseas, and boom, there they go. They got mm-hmm. their they got their low end line of guitars. Yeah, which now Epiphone, you can get good Epiphones and bad Epiphones and all this kind of shit. I, mean, um, I, don't, I don't know. About <laughs> well I have a good, uh, epiphone acoustic that I really enjoy you can set up an epiphone
0: guitar and it will sound just as good as any American Gibson in my opinion
1: hmm. in your opinion
0: yeah
1: my opinion your opinion shit <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> uh, so in 1958 same way Ted McCarty uh, introduces three more modernistic because Gibson once again is trying to reach out and trying to uh, you know grow a little bit more so they introduced three modernistic-type guitars, uh, the two of which that were chosen to be put into production were well before their time, uh, and they yeah, were not well-received.
0: For God's sakes. What were they thinking? I mean, they they, they talking about being uh, in the future. The Flying V? The Flying V. And the Explorer. And the Explorer. That's insane. I can't yeah. believe that they came out there that early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, and, why?
1: I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, they were. It was another keeping up with the Jones. It's a well, mystery. They, they couldn't compete with the Stratocasters' volume. They wanted to.
0: No, they what? They were like, well, that's a wacky looking body style. We need to come out with a wackier body style. It's what the kids want.
1: Right. You know. But it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> not, <laughs> not. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. You know. Maybe in uh, in in the mid late seventies, you'll start get seeing some flying V's flowing around.
0: Well, that's like Gibson releasing that Firehawk. Bullshit. Oh
1: my god! The Firebird ten, Firebird, whatever the fuck it was, it was the st- Firebird
0: ten, st- stupidest piece of shit, fucking
1: in. digital guitar, digital tuning, no, all that bullshit. No, that's
0: not what I'm talking about.
1: Well, that it, was the Firebird ten.
0: Well, the one I'm talking about came out like last year, and they
1: like oh. they, they they
0: messed up something with the with the necks, and then did you see? Do you haven't seen the video where uh-uh. the, they lined up like a thousand of these guitars, and then took a took a. Uh, a a tank or a, a uh, like a you know a bulldozer or whatever, and so they they and they put them like like you know they put like a five hundred or a thousand guitars on this side, all all you know crisscrossed, and then they did the same thing on the other side for the for the tracks, mm-hmm. and then the, they had the freaking uh, the whatever they're not a tank but a, you know uh, you know those big. Humvee or something? No, it was no. It's one of those giant machines that you see on on on, on construction sites. You know. The, oh, a bulldozer. Yeah, it wasn't. Or a, a steamroller. No, you know with with the, with the crane thing on oh, top. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I forget what you call bucket Any, truck. Anywho, they freaking crunched them all. Great, crunched them all. Like who the, did this? Gibson. Wow. Fucking, watch the YouTube video. I mean, it just makes me super pissed just to see that all the destruction for no reason they could have given those guitars to, oh, to yeah. kids in vietnam or, oh or, yeah. or all over the world mm-hmm. but instead they decided to go no was gonna, that a public statement we're we're gonna, and they, well they filmed it and they fucking they posted it that's a bunch of shit fuck, that kind of sucks fuck you gibson <laughs> hope you
1: choke on your guitars oh lord here we go okay so they introduced the explorer the flying v didn't work over so well uh, and at this point as well they're introducing the sg right Spanish G- garbage <laughs> jesus christ and uh les paul's pissed yeah at this time because the les paul's starting to become an archaic design and nobody wants well, it also his his music is archaic at this time oh yeah that creepy so i mean they're like that well, creepy 40s yeah, shit
0: like well we don't need a les paul because we need something uh, more modern so mm-hmm. we get les paul's name out of our line of sight because right. that's
1: not what's going to sell guitars. Right. So they introduced uh, those three models. They didn't do great at the time. At the time. They will come back. And <laughs> I remember reading the interview, Les Paul was like, what are those points? Somebody yeah. could damn near cut themselves on those <laughs> points. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just all sorts of mad about it. Um, and so mo- jumping forward a few years, uh, cause we're running short on time. Uh, in 1964, Fender starts producing uh, acoustic guitars, which is pretty good. Yeah, they uh, suck. There. They suck now. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's good for them that they're diversifying. Good for them. Good for those you kids. know, and then at age fifty-five, Leo starts suffering a little bit of health problems. Yeah, uh, he has Parkinson's, pre-onset Parkinson's at this time, so his hands are getting a little bit shaky. He doesn't have it, and which is really young to be having those kind of issues. How old was he? Fifty-five. Yeah. Michael J. Fox is probably in his 30s. Still sucks. Yeah. You know, especially for a sound engineer like that and somebody with that brilliant of a mind to have his tools taken away from him. Yeah, it's all that solder fumes he's breathing. Yes, I don't know. So anyway, he's had enough. At this time, uh, the corporation is more than he can handle. Mm. He's just a, a small-town guy. He's kind of introverted, doesn't drink, he doesn't party. He just likes to sit over his thing and solder and yeah. design, and that's what he likes to do. That's what he does. And so he goes to his uh, his partner, Don Randall, and he's like, all right, Don, I will... Sell you this company for $1.5 million, which is shit. It's nothing at the time. Well, yeah. You know, it's a fraction was, of what it's worth even was, then. I think
0: he was just doing like, I don't need a bunch of money. Right. He's I, already got You know, I could yeah. retire with a, with a million bucks.
1: Yeah. He's already got it. He's already got the money. And then the dude's like, what? <laughs> you can get a lot more than that. Right, right, right. And so uh, in 1960, or January 5th, 1965, and this is the downfall offender for a couple years, uh fender was sold to cbs columbia broadcasting systems for a sum of 13 million dollars and that's kind of where because that cbs was huge yeah huge Mm -hmm. and so this is when the quality started dropping because and that price tag was to to them was like all the money in the world right right exactly and so they start pumping guitars out and cutting corners. And Leo was hired on as a consultant for a short amount of time, but he ended up leaving. Yeah. Uh, he ended up leaving and doing his own thing, starting G and L guitars. And, you which know, today is still, they're still going yeah, strong. It's still great. Yeah. Um, and so
0: that would be, if you look at it, I mean, it's not the same company, obviously, but if you had to look at, there's an Epiphone for, for Gibson, G and L would be to Fender. Right. Right. Right.
1: And, I got a bone to pick with fender in a minute when we move forward a little bit. Um, but so similarly, when we talked about earlier, how the mid sixties, early seventies was kind of a dark era for fender, both for both fender and Gibson, uh, did they not have electricity or <laughs> might as well not have. So fender sold to CBS in 1969, an Ecuadorian company, uh, which was, what was it? Uh, ECLs, ECLs, yeah, ECLs, Norton Stevens and CMI's MH Berlin. They bought Gibson and combined their names to form Norlin. And if you ask any solid guitar player, any very prominent musician, Mm. they're going to tell you, don't fucking touch a Norlin Gibson. Mm -hmm. They're shit. Yeah, because they were doing the same thing, like the Chipsons these days. Yeah, yeah, made in China. Yeah, they don't. They didn't give a shit about the sound, the company, the production value, the look, the playability, nothing. All they care about is quantity. Quantity. Move this shit. Yeah. Get it gone. You know. And uh and so their quality started falling. Yeah. And so did their following mm-hmm, mm-hmm. started falling. Uh so they were falling incredibly fast uh and moving forward a little bit as well there's a lot of factories on both sides being shut down fenders production is slowing gibson's production is slowing in 1983 japanese squires start hitting the market they're outsourcing to japan right a
0: lot of other guitars are you know are, are, coming, are coming on the market through. you got ibanez you yeah know, you got the esps you know all you know like tons and tons you know, schecter's coming in there you know every, yep. everything
1: yep, yep 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 uh 1985 uh, cbs ends up selling to uh uh, William Schultz for $12.5 million, which is interesting because that's only like 500000 less than they bought it for. It. Right, it's kind of crazy. Um, and so you're seeing a bunch of these guitars. They're, they're shit. In 1986, they're in dire financial trouble. Uh, Gibson ends up being purchased by Henry Juskowicz and David Berryman. Um, so they're trying to bring Gibson back. Fender's just got sold. Fender's trying to get back. And so what Fender does is which is a pretty smart thing because at this time too you have two of the best guitar players that have ever touched a Fender fucking Stratocaster coming on the scene Eric Clapton and Yingve Malmsteen. Oh yeah. Right? So they come out with sing- signature models in the late 80s. This is starting to bring Fender sales back up again, but then they start stagnating again.
0: Well, don't forget back let's back it up just one second, but didn't Clap or didn't Clapton bring back the Les Paul as well? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Some dude knocked on Les Paul's door and was like, "Hey, I can't find any Les Pauls anywhere. Yep. Can I please buy one of your Les Pauls, Mister Les Paul?" And He's like, yeah. "What? What are you talking about? Yeah. Get away from me!" And then so he closes the door on that kid's face. And then the next day he goes out and he yeah. and he's like he's like, same kid was telling me about Eric Clapton," and so he's like, uh, "Okay, well here's an Eric Clapton record." And he's like, "Well, give me that record. I'm gonna go home and listen to it." And then he goes back to Gibson and he's like, "Everybody wants to buy my my, my signature model. You need to put it out." So for like a year. Les Paul's like bugging Gibson, like please, please put my signature model back out. And finally, after him sending them record after record after record with all these artists using the the old uh, Les Paul models, Gibson's like, okay, we're gonna start producing you know another new model for your for your Les Paul. Right. That's how that started the Les Paul
1: movement again. Yep. You know, 19 mid 60s, I'd say mid 60s. Yep. Exactly right. Um, and so, anyway, a couple more prominent things that happened with uh, Fender. Fender bought Guild in 95, yeah. held onto it for, for a few years. And Guilds are amazing guitars. Oh, yeah. Great guitars. High-end. Oh. High, 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 high-end. No, I wouldn't put uh, A lot of them are expensive as shit. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. 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 But they sold them in uh, 2014. You know. And so... Like we had said, Fender started G&L, Gibson, uh, Henry Juskowitz ended up bringing Gibson back a fair amount. You know what I mean? He brought yeah. him even again um, before that little snafu last year, huh. filing don't, don't <laughs> Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Gibson filed, filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and Henry Juskiewicz, uh ended up leaving in uh, 2018. Well, not only that, but then they had that video... Where they
0: hired uh, the, the guy from that guitar shop in in L.A. to come yeah. to be the is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, that guy Henry. Yeah. <laughs> he, did you see the YouTube video? Uh. Uh-uh. He comes out. Gibson says you have to do this YouTube video. He comes out and says, says, uh, yeah. So we're gonna go ahead and start suing anybody who does any kind of uh, Les Paul copying, starting with uh, Dean guitars as, as our main Great. number one. Dude, and right then and there, Gibson's stock and followers and everything just went. They're chasing scraps. They suck.
1: They're cha- uh, and then they, they had suck.
0: the whole bulldozer thing with with the firebirds right. or the firehawks, whatever the hell they're called. Right. Uh, it, 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 I don't know. They, they, they've gone through their phases, and then I think right. now they've reached rock bottom these days.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, and so Leo Fender ended up dying March 21st, 1991. In Fullerton, California. And this is the bone that I have to pick with Fender. Because before his death, before Leo Fender's death, he started G&L Guitars. Yeah. Okay. And after his death, almost immediately, Fender sued G&L Guitars. For copyright on the body styles. No. For not copyright on the body style, because it said Fender on the fucking neck.
0: Well, yeah. They had the rights to the name when they bought the
1: company. But still, like, his last name? Yes. Yes. That sucks. How are you gonna sue your founder? He should have called it Leo. I know. Leo Guitars. The Leo Guitars. Why not? I don't know. That sucks. That that just to me that sucks. That, that that's that's a dick move. Well, that's the the biggest
0: gripe you have about Fender. That's <laughs> not so bad now. Is George
1: it? Fullerton. God, you're such a girl. Fullerton <laughs> yes. makes great pedals, by the way. No, George Fullerton and Leo Fenders started GNL no, Guitars. That's what GNL stands for. George and Leo. Um, I'm saying. Fortune pedals. Do they? Are they good? Yeah. Oh, sick. Uh, anyway, and then uh, moving forward, Les Paul ended up dying in 2009. That dude lived for fucking ever. Yeah. That dude lived forever. Yeah. My God. Amazing what whiskey can do. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's a, a brief overview of the history of Gibson and... Fender and how their rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall to fame, mostly Gibson, but we're not going to talk about that. No. So, on to the album review of the week, real quick. Korn! Corn's new album came out September 13th. It is called The Nothing. So good. Holy shit, people. You have to go listen to that album.
0: I know it's not really summer, technically. Well, yeah, technically it is still summer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That is not it hmm thats the album of the summer. For know. for metal guys.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. Slipknot just came out a couple, like a month prior. I, I like Korn's album better.
0: I think I do, too. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying. I think I I'm do, saying. too, man. It's a good album, man. And, and, this, great. Is,
1: and this is the cool way, because I talked to my wife, Kristen, about this, and she's watching. Hey, baby girl. Uh, so I, I talked to her a little bit about this, and back in the, when like the Twisted Transistor, I think it was called Through the, uh, Through the Something, whatever it was called, the album that came out. Uh, with twisted transistor on it, that's when yeah. they started. Uh, when the music tone and then in in the mid two or yeah mid two thousands, late two thousand, that's when it started shifting and they started chasing mainstream popularity. Yeah, that wasn't there anymore. Right. This album brings corn back to their roots. Mm-hmm. This is real corn, only a little bit heavier, and you can smell the passion coming off of this album. And it's not just like some kind of
0: spit out album regurgitating other stuff. I won't mention any other Tool. N- names, but <laughs> Tool. this is so original, man. Yeah. Like it, it's, it sounds like Korn's
1: vibe, but yeah. it's, it's all new stuff, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's just such a great album. Yeah, because you know, I went into it. Uh, it was released by Electra Records and uh, distributed by Roadrunner, which was pretty fucking cool that they're still holding on to them. Right. Um, when I put on this album first for the first time a few days ago, I didn't go into it with a great expectation. I was sitting there, I was bobbing my Neither head. Neither did little I, bit. at all, at all. Uh, not a big expectation. I was bobbing my head a little bit, and then I was like, okay. And then the uh, second song came on, and I was like, jaw, oh, damn it. jaw drops. What? Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? This is great. Yep. So anyway, uh, we're gonna wrap it up. You guys need to check out that new album. Thank you for stopping by. Whether you play a Gibson or whether you play a Fender, at least you're fucking playing. That's what I got to say about it. Keep Mm. on
0: picking and greeting, guys.
1: That's it. Keep on keeping on. We will see you next week. We love you. Peace out, Cub Scouts.